Um, I'm going to read the Bible now before um, Jez comes up to talk to us. So we have two readings today. The first is from Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Um, and it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the second reading is from Romans 10, verse 10 to 15. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will, will then they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. All right, good morning and welcome. I'm Jeremy, I'm the lead pastor here. So good to have you with us this morning, especially if this is your first time in a church or church gathering or if you haven't been to church for a while, um, but also if you're here week in and week out as a member. I'm really excited to see what God does through this series and I'm encouraged that so far I've seen God kind of work even at the moment and maybe in a unique way in our church community and I have a couple of reasons for this. First was after last week's sermon, a bunch of you would just felt really convicted about the call to make disciples. And I know that that wasn't because of the sermon, because the sermon was a dog's breakfast. And the reason, <laughs> the reason I can say that, look, there are just times when you put a sermon together and you labor and pray, and at the end of the week you're like, God, this is, this is all I got. I pray that you use it. And he looks down and he says, oh, bless. Yeah, I'll get the spirit to fix that one up in post-production, right? And that's what happens. That's an evidence of God's grace working in our community. But also there are just, just spot fires of conversations that have come about spontaneously where people have already been thinking about the call to make disciples and I guess changing in that area this year that encouraged me that maybe this is something that God is pulling us all in a direction of. And so it's exciting to see what he'll do over this series. And we are in a series called Next, if you weren't with us last week. And the reason we do Next is because we have a mission as a church. We don't set the mission of the church. The scriptures set the mission. We're called to make more and stronger disciples. Jesus says, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says, and teach them everything that I've commanded you. So you make disciples. You see people come to faith. And then you don't just say, oh, well, good luck with your life. See how you go. No, actually, once someone commits to faith, you disciple them. You show them everything that Jesus taught them. And so this is what we're called to do week in and week out. And a couple of years ago, we got together as a team. We thought, if we were to step this out faithfully over five years, making more and stronger disciples, what would that look like at the end of five years? And we thought that it would look as a church that is a growing, healthy, multi-generational church having a Sydney-wide impact. And so from then on each year, we've kind of checked back in on how we're doing at that at the beginning of the year to see what's next, hence the name Next. And we did it last year. And as someone noticed in the announcements video this week, I used the slide from last year 
and they noticed that the Roman numerals were for the year 2022, not 2023. So well done to that detail-oriented person. <laughs> I hope they also remembered the main point of the announcement video, which was to register for the 10th birthday, you know, celebration. But anyway, so we do it each year to check back in on how we're travelling. And last year. We'd check back in on how we we're going. We'd move down to the high school. The reason we meet in a hot high school hall is not because it's our preference, but we need to grow. We want to see more people come to faith and to grow as a church community. And last year as well, Josh came on the staff and started moving us a bit more multi-generational, and that he started a youth group and has been discipling people there. And so this year, we're asking the question like, what's next for us in stepping forward? And the two focus areas for this series are this: it's making disciples. And it's stewarding our finances as missionaries, making disciples and stewarding our finances as missionaries. And so the series is going to flow like this: last week was you are a missionary, this week is live like a missionary, and the next two weeks is give like a missionary. See how that flows nicely? A little bit of rhyme in the middle as well, so that's handy to remember. But that's the flow of our series. And what we're looking at this week is if it's true last week what Jesus said, that it means that every disciple is a disciple maker. Then that means that you, if you are a follower of Jesus, are a missionary. And so the call then this week is: Well, what would it look like in our context in Sydney to live like a missionary? I heard the story this week of a missionary who felt the call to go to an unreached people group overseas, and because he was going to a context that was completely foreign and where no one in that specific community had ever heard the name Jesus before. He was going to have to learn a foreign language, a foreign culture, but more than that, he was also going to have to start a business because the only way to be in that country was on a work visa, not a religious visa. And so, part of the work that made this mission even harder was that not only was he going to have to cross cultural boundaries in terms of learning a new culture and a new language, but he was also going to have to learn how to start a new business in a new culture, in a new language, not knowing anything about how things operated over there. And the crazy thing was, he went ahead and did it, and he actually started getting a business off the ground. And initially, it took a lot of time and energy to get this thing started. And because of that, a lot of his focus was just on the business. But mercifully and incredibly, he actually managed to start a pretty successful small business in a foreign context. And so, as time went on and month went on, it took more and more of his time as he needed to take on more staff in order to make it happen and to make it kind of、uh, sustainable. But as time went on, it went from being a sustainable business to a very functional business to a very functional business to actually more than just producing a wage for him so that he could live in a foreign context. He actually started to really make bank off of this, and then eventually, the business became so successful that he stayed there, and the mission was completely forgotten. And because of that. A certain mission organisation has now taken precautions to make sure that doesn't happen for their missionaries anymore. But when you hear of that happening, you think, "Man, how could someone go from like, I will do anything to make disciples. God, just show me where I should go. I will give up anything to go across the world and make disciples, to being completely off mission, being willing to sacrifice anything, to then going to living basically for comfort and wealth." Do you know what's crazy? When a missionary does that, we think, "How could that happen?" But when we do that here, that's just church. When someone goes overseas and then goes off track 
and their mission becomes about making money instead of actually making disciples, we think that's lunacy. But over here, it can almost just be normalcy. That it can be the case that it becomes normal in our context to follow Jesus, to know that He is Lord, and yet to live our whole life trying to live as comfortably as possible and make zero disciples. And that's normal. Everybody thinks that the church in the West is shrinking because of rising opposition outside the church. It's not true. The church is shrinking because of rising stagnation inside the church. It's not that people won't come, it's that the people won't go. The call is to make disciples. And the reason we do a vision series every year is it's kind of like a compass check. The scriptures are our true north, and every year we just check our position against that and see how we're going as we weigh up our, our church life against what scripture is calling us to do and to prioritize. And the reflection over the last couple of years is that we've just drifted slightly off mission. Not all the way off, we haven't gone backwards. But the two years of, or two to three years of sickness and COVID and all of that has just led to a little bit of mission drift. And so the call this year is to refocus back on making disciples, on trusting that this great commission is what Jesus is with us to carry through and that he is faithful to that call. And so last week we looked at the simple basic truth, the biblical truth, that if you're a disciple, you're a disciple maker. If you follow Jesus, you're called to introduce people to Jesus. And this week, we're looking at what it means to live like that. If you are a missionary, what does it mean to live like a missionary? And so over this week, that's what we're going to be stepping into. And so we're going to revisit that passage in Matthew 28 and carry on to the second reading, which was in Romans 10. But I'm going to pray that as we open up God's Word, that by His Spirit, He would be convicting us to be on mission for His cause. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you love us. That you sent Christ as an atoning sacrifice for us. That you have empowered everyone here who follows you with your Holy Spirit to know you truly, to be called your child. And that you have given us a mission. That you have sent us out to make disciples and to make disciples who make disciples. And so, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us for this, all for the sake of your holy name. Amen. Well, in Matthew 28, in the reading before, we see a very clear commission that Jesus makes. Look what he says in, in uh, sentences 18 to 20. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus commands with authority as we looked at last week. And the truth is, in Australia, maybe particularly Australia, but maybe other cultures that are similar to ours, we don't like the word authority very much. In Australia, it's okay to have authority so long as you don't make a big deal about it. Everyone who works in a work context, unless you are the boss, you have a boss. And that's okay so long as they don't ever point that fact out. If, if your boss ever says to you, I have authority over you, that is a great way for them to undermine their own authority. But it's funny, it's kind of an, an Australian almost insecurity about it, right? We know that it has to be. We know that healthy organizations have a chart of authority. But it's like if anyone brings it up, it just bristles. And it's often because we've seen authority abused, so we don't like it. But there is also a pride there. 
We don't like the idea that someone would have authority over us. Autonomy is a high cultural value, and so we don't like the idea that someone might have authority over us. But here, Jesus says, if you follow me, if you call me Lord, it means I have authority over your life. And the two are connected. We like the bits in the gospel about getting saved and about God's grace and his love and getting to go to heaven and life everlasting. But Jesus also says, look, if you follow me, I am Lord. I have authority. And Jesus has all authority. He decides who lives and who dies. He decides who goes to heaven or who to hell. He decides who rules and who falls. War and peace, all of these things are under his sovereign and good rule. And this would be a terrifying thing if it weren't for the gospel. Because in the gospel we know that God is not just powerful, that Jesus is not just powerful and authoritative, but that he is actually good. What did Jesus do with all the power that he had? He laid down his life for us so that we might have life eternal. That the God who had all authority, the Jesus who will judge the nations, the one whom we, we would have to answer before, is also the one who died on the cross for our sin. And so these disciples know that it's not just that they have to follow Jesus, but that they get to follow Jesus. Because authority, when it is like this, is actually good. We have some friends who a couple of years ago uh, began fostering some children and have adopted them since. And one of the things that was very difficult in the transition was teaching them to live in a new family. They were kind of the youngest two kids of a family that were kind of six with all of them included. And so for them, it was a big adjustment moving into a new house. But the context they came from, you can probably understand, was pretty chaotic. The, the authority was either used badly or abusively, or at other times, the parents just neglected their authority completely and weren't there and left the kids to fend for themselves. And so in bringing them into a new family, what they wanted to teach them was that their authority as parents was good. That actually, as they exercised authority lovingly, it actually led to thriving. In fact, the environment that kids thrive in is in one that is loving and authoritative at the same time. Whether it's clear that the parents are in charge, not the kids, but they use this power in a good way and not to just put them down. And so a big part of their healing and their transition was coming into a family seeing that this authority was good. When it comes to Jesus, the truth is, it's not that we have to follow him, but that we get to. That if you understand the gospel, that you are a sinner bound for the judgment of God and Jesus bore that sin on your behalf, it means now that you get to follow him, that you get to give your life to him, that you get to be a part of his family, that it's a blessing. And what this means then is that if Jesus is Lord, then he is the one that orders the priorities for our lives. And that this is good. Would we be the kind of church that says to Jesus, whatever you say, whatever you would have us do, we want to do it. That it's for our good and our joy. Send me overseas, take over my schedule, my finances, my priorities, whatever it is. Are you open at the beginning of this morning to the fact that Jesus may say something to you through his word that might mean you have to give something up. That it may mean moving house or quitting your job or ending a relationship. Who knows what? Are you open to the fact 
that Jesus may call you to do something this morning. And you might, in your mind, you're like, look, I know this passage, and I know Jez and church, and look, we had the same passage last week. I'd be very surprised if something new came up. Sure. But are you open to the fact that Jesus might be calling you to change? Because if not, why not? Do we trust that his authority is actually good? That the one who rules over the universe and yet died for us in our place might be not just it might be that we don't just have to follow him, but that we get to follow him. Because here, Jesus calls his church, after, after demonstrating his authority, after rising from the dead, he calls his church to make disciples. And he doesn't, he doesn't leave it vague as to what that means. He says, you are called to make disciples. And a disciple means teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. See, look at what Jesus says in regards to making disciples. If we were to just take a sample from the Gospel of Matthew, so Matthew 28 is at the end of Gospels, Matthew, an account of Jesus' birth, his life, his teaching, ministry, his death and resurrection. So if we just stick to the Gospel of Matthew and stick to the definition of a disciple as someone who you are to teach everything that Jesus has commanded, let me just give you a sample of what a disciple is meant to look like. In Matthew 5.16, it means teach them to do good works to the glory of God. In Matthew 5.22, it's to teach people to love and to not hate. In Matthew 5.28-30, it's to teach them sexual integrity. In Matthew 5.32, it's to teach them to be faithful in marriage. I'm just going to keep hitting you with scriptures, by the way, so you get a sense of this. In Matthew 5.33, it's to tell them to, to tell the truth and not to lie. In Matthew 5.44, it's to not take revenge, but to love instead and turn the other cheek. Matthew 6.6, teach them to pray. Matthew 6.16, teach them to fast. Matthew 6.19-20, to not love money and store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. In Matthew 6.25, it's to not be anxious, but to trust God. In Matthew 7.1, not to judge others, but to love. In Matthew 7.12, it's to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the golden rule, as they call it. Matthew 10.37, to love Jesus more than even your own biological family. Matthew 12.46, it's to love your church family as real family and to know that if Jesus is your brother, then these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. In Matthew 16, it's to lay down anything in order to follow Jesus. In Matthew 18, it's to correct sin in one another's lives. Matthew 18:21 to 22, to forgive one another. Matthew 19, to keep the covenant of marriage holy. Matthew 22, to love God more than anything else with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as yourself. And in Matthew 25, to take care of the poor and needy. And Matthew 28, 19, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This is what Jesus means when he calls his people to make disciples. We're to be about this. See, Jesus doesn't say that you need to have a Sunday gathering. And Jesus doesn't say that you need to have small groups. Those are not mandatory. Those are strategies that we are open to use to the end that we make disciples and make those disciples stronger. We teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. And so as a church, that's why we do this. But of course, God doesn't command that you have to have a Sunday gathering because there are contexts in which it's illegal to gather as Christians and so the church has to adapt and use other strategies to make disciples who make disciples. But we do have this Sunday gathering as a tradition and we do it because the church throughout time has carried on this tradition 
And it's a chance for the leadership of the church to get up and say, look, this is a faithful interpretation of the Word of God and to call the church to obedience in Christ, to understand the gospel and to believe it. And we've seen God work through it. But of course, the truth is, the Sunday gathering, while it's a blessing, has its limitations, doesn't it? That if you want it to do all the things that Jesus has commanded us to do here, it's not going to work out. There are many, many times or contexts in which the Sunday gathering is almost like the only thing that a church does. And you can't possibly hope to make more and stronger disciples just using that. You can think of it like this. Microwaves are good, but if that's the only thing you use to cook, you're going to have a very limited set of cuisine. Now, I know this personally because I used to work in a restaurant. that It wasn't a hatted restaurant, but you may have heard of it. It was called Red Rooster. And at Red Rooster, they may, I don't want to throw shade on them now because... Maybe you work there, maybe you own one, I don't know who's here today. But I'm just saying, quite a few years ago, the chips were cooked in the fryer, so that was that. The chickens were cooked in the oven, everything else went through the microwave. And you're like, when you say everything, you mean like most things. No, I mean everything. If it came out the other side hot, it came from the microwave. And there was like four buttons on it for different things. A whole burger would go in, and I'm, the lettuce on there already, the burger goes in, microwave. The rolls, microwave. The chicken rolls, mic everything went through the microwave. Now, without going into any more details, I can tell you it didn't lead to a mouth-watering kind of menu, did it? Because really, if that's all you've got, you're going to be very limited in what you can do. And in the same way, these Sunday gatherings are an important part of our church life, but it's not all that we do. And if we're going to make more and stronger disciples, it's going to mean more than just gathering here on a Sunday. That actually part of community life is our small groups as well. And small group life is where you can do more life on life. And if you're not a part of a small group here and looking to connect up with that, please put down on the slips. We'd love for you to be a part of that here. But that's where discipleship happens, where we go deeper into the Word, where you get to know a few people a bit more, and where you can encourage one another to be on about discipleship and about making disciples. Because it's going to take more than just a couple of hours on a Sunday morning to grow as a disciple of Jesus and to grow as a disciple maker. And if I was to say one reflection over our last 10 years, I said our Sunday gatherings and community groups have been such a blessing and a strength. There's probably been a strength over this decade, the times we've had together as the church comes together to use its gifts to encourage one another, to serve one another as we've met in small groups and people have really shared their lives and really encountered one another and God's word and been transformed by his word. But one area where we would love to grow is in this area of making disciples. And not only that, but year on year to build a culture of making disciples where it's really normal in church to see people joining your small group who've just come to faith where it's really normal to, see people, to share week in and week out who you've been sharing the gospel with. How's that going? How are they traveling along? Because what's normal and what's biblical over time can drift apart. I suspect, and I'm, I may not be right on this, but I suspect if we said we're shutting down Sunday gatherings for the rest of this term, there'd be, I don't know if there'd be an audible gasp or just an internal one because you're polite, but you'd be like, Ah, that's okay, sure. And in some ways that's reasonable because it's like, look, how are we going to make more and stronger disciples if we're not doing that? What's the thing that's going to be there instead? But if we shut down Sunday gatherings or small groups, people would be like, what? Because almost every church in Sydney does that, right? If you joined us, you expected that there was a Sunday gathering to be able to show up to because it's just normal. 
And so what's normal often seems biblical, like it, we, it's what we have to do. But the truth is in this passage, Jesus says, look, you can have Sunday gatherings, you can have small groups, cut it any which way you can for whatever cultural context you're in to be as effective as possible. But here's the thing that can't change. You have to make more, to strong, more disciples and you have to make them stronger. And that's the power of culture. Whatever is normal seems biblical. And so what would it take for us to have a culture where it's normal to see people come into faith and for the God's followers to be sharing the gospel regularly? I reckon it would be this. I reckon it would take every one of us looking out at our lives and thinking, if I was a missionary sent to Sydney, how would I live my life? Just think about that. Think about work. How does a missionary approach work when they enter a new culture? They take the gifts and the skills and abilities that God has given them. They think, how can I earn a wage, but in a way that's going to bless the community and share my faith as I'm doing it? How can I create a business that's going to help local people gain employment and skills? How can I not exploit people but demonstrate the love of Christ in the work or the business that I create or the the business that I take part in? How can I have a wage that's fair and demonstrates that Christ is my treasure and not my wage? How can I have a job that's going to actually pay the bills and, and take care of things but at the same time not be so overwhelming that I'm completely off mission? That's how a missionary would think about work in the mission context. Do you ask those kind of questions when it comes to your job? Are there certain jobs that you wouldn't take because you're like, nah, that really wouldn't represent Christ? I remember talking to one friend who's not a believer, but he was, um, he was working for, uh, let's try to keep the details as minimal as possible, working for an organization that um, most of its revenue was basically off the back of poker machines or poker machine apps. And he came to the realization that the better, the more skill and precision and expertise that he put into his work, the worse that people's lives would get. Because his job was to design the machines and the visual kind of style of them to, to hook people and to keep them engaged and to spend more and basically lose more. And so he left the job knowing that if I do my job well, other people's lives get worse. Now, as just a starting point, if you're a follower of Christ and a missionary sent to the culture, your thought must be, what kind of jobs would I or wouldn't I take? And as a missionary, as someone who is sent by Jesus to be a part of this culture, how can I be a blessing and share my faith and not have work completely overwhelm me? How can I think of it like a missionary? But what about the neighborhood? How does a missionary approach their neighborhood? Look, the main trend for, for understanding why you would be in any given neighborhood currently in our city is always upgrade. Live as well as you can. But for a missionary, the way you might approach it is to say, where can I be most effective for the gospel? How can I, as much as it's up to me, not move too often so that I can actually build relationships with people that I might be able to share my faith over the long term? These are the questions that you'd expect a missionary to ask as they're moving into a new neighborhood in a different culture. But it's the same for us here in Sydney. How can you reach people? How can you be a good neighbor? How can you love those around you? How can you meet their needs and share the gospel with them? Or as you think about culture, how does a missionary think about participating in local culture? When a missionary would join another community, they're a complete outsider and often a foreigner. And so when they enter a new culture, they're like, What are people already doing that I can be a part of? 
What are the sporting groups? What are the community groups? What are the things that I can actually participate in so that I can actually just, one, just make some friends, but make connections where I can share the gospel? Do we think about it in the same way? What are the sports teams, book clubs, volunteering, mothers groups, play groups, cafes, bands, whatever it is? What are the things you can be a part of that you'd be a part of regularly that you might share the gospel? Do you plan a sports team that's, that's all Christians? It might be the year to change it up. To join a team where you don't know anyone or to take a few friends and say we're going to have a mix of you know, some who are from church, some who don't know that we might be able to just mix together. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's join a book club or volunteer somewhere. Maybe it's join a play group. Maybe it's doing things you already do with more missional intentionality. Like instead of going to whatever cafe has got the best coffee at the time, being like, I'm going to commit to this one so that I can actually get to know the staff and build a relationship with them and maybe share the gospel and know what's really going on in their lives. If you, have, if you have connections to an ethnic community, you can speak another language. To be like, I can be a part of that culture that maybe other people around me can't to witness to the gospel and share the gospel. How do you think about rest and recreation? Because as you hear all this, you might be thinking like, this sounds exhausting. But missionaries have a plan for rest and rec- recreation as well because they, don't, they need to not burn out because the mission is too important. So how do you think about how you're going to get rest? How are you going to exercise, look after your body in such a way that you'll be able to stay on mission for the long term and not get burned out? Missionaries entering another context will think about how they're going to partner with the church in this. You're not alone. There might be people in your life that only you can reach or connect with. That like for them, for their church experience or background, they're like, I would never set foot in a Sunday gathering again. But they know you and they trust you and would want to speak to you. But there's also, for a bunch of others, people who want to see what it looks like for Christians to actually live in community. It's like, what do you guys actually do? What is this thing all about? And sometimes it's very hard to get a gauge of that when it's just one-to-one. So there might be times where you can partner with the church, whether it's what we're doing over the Easter weekend or Christmas or with Alpha courses, thinking about how can I partner with the church and see some of my friends connect with other people as they explore faith together. Would you even, and here's a radical thought, move a holiday a weekend down or move things around around the times that would be the best opportunities to share the gospel with friends in church community. Look, I could go on and on and on, but really probably the last one it comes down to is this. And this is probably the big one. Who are you going to share the gospel with? And that is to actually speak the gospel. Do you know there's a line reportedly from Francis of Assisi and it goes like this. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. And it's very pithy and very catchy, which usually means that the person didn't actually say it. And with Francis of Assisi, that's almost definitely the case. Whenever you get something that's written like centuries ago that's quite tweetable, just you can be pretty sure it probably didn't come out exactly like that. So it's not clear that he even said it. But even if he did, it's not true. It sounds nice. But the gospel has never gone out in a wave in any community by osmosis, by Christians just living as Christians, kind of as like, almost like secret agents in the culture, and somehow the gospel just leaked out, and one day everyone showed up to work, and they're like, I don't know what happened, but I'm a Christian, and you are now too. And it's like, it's a miracle, right? It just kind of leaked out. The truth is, at some point, you have to cross the line and actually share the gospel, And I'm saying this not based on something that someone many years ago may have said, but it's right there in Scripture. Look what it says in Romans 10. 
Paul, writing at the end of Romans, says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You have to speak the gospel. The way the gospel is transmitted and has been passed on from century to century, the reason we are here in Australia in a very different location to where Jesus stood and made that command to go and make disciples of all nations, the reason we're here worshipping Jesus is because faithful Christians said, whatever it takes, we will share the gospel and make sure it gets to the ends of the earth. And empowered by Jesus' Holy Spirit, and empowered to be on mission with him, God followed through on this mission and has built his church across the world. Because one day... God's church will be gathered before the throne and every tribe, nation and tongue will be there worshipping Jesus. And until that day, his people are called to go out and to share the gospel. And so I'm going to finish with two applications for you here. The first one is, is I think, for everyone. And it's probably the next step in living out the call to be a disciple maker and a missionary. And the second one, we'll get to that in a bit. Ooh, exciting. (laughs) The first one is this. I reckon everyone here who calls on the name of Jesus, I'd encourage you to have one person, just one, not two, not three, but one person that you're going to be praying for every day or if you forget to, every catch-up day, who you want to share the gospel with, someone that you know and love, your friend or family, who you, would like, who you are longing for them to be saved. To just have one person and to share that with your group and say, this is the person I've been praying for, that I'm seeking God on, and that I would love to share the gospel with them to see them come to faith. That as a whole church community, if we were to do that, I think that would be a massive shift going forwards. One person to pray for over this one year. But the second one is this. If you're feeling convicted right now, you're like, I want to live this out. I just don't know how. I don't know what's next, or I've tried and it didn't work. Or you're like, Many years ago in high school, I tried. It went so badly. I don't know if I could step into that again. Or you're like, it's been so long. I don't even know really what to do. This is what I'd love for you to do. Because I had like five different options. And if you do that, none of them land. So this is the one thing to do. If you're feeling like, I really want to grow in this significantly over this year. is just to put on that white slip. Just put in like all caps. I'll read it like it's not aggressive. It's just like so you can see it. All caps. Just write training. And then an area where you feel like you need to be trained. And we want to see, as God kind of convicts various people in the church, if there are just some ways that we could pull people together in different groups who want training in particular areas so that you can actually share the gospel well going forward. Does that sort of make sense? The first one for everyone is one person to pray for. The second one is training. And we want to see what God does through that, that we might mobilize the church as well as we can. And we want to do it for this reason, because we know that Jesus is worth it. I don't, remember, I don't know if you remember what it was like either early in your faith or when you first got saved, but when you first experienced the power of grace, when you first understood what it meant to be set free from sin and death and how God took you out of the mire and gave you new life, and to remember that we are called to see that happen over and over and over again. 
and that his disciples are made, that they would make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And all not for the glory of us, but for the glory of God, the one who saves and who loves us with an everlasting love. Let's pray that he'd empower us to be this kind of church. Father, your word and your gospel are going out all over the earth. In many languages and dialects, people are hearing of Jesus and their hearts are melting and they're being brought into your kingdom, having their sins forgiven, being washed and made new and finding new life in Christ. And Father, we just pray knowing that you are doing this all over the world and that you are faithful, that you would do this here and even in our midst, that you would move us by your Spirit to be bold, to trust you, and to witness to the gospel, that we might see many come to faith, we might see many just experience the joy of forgiveness and knowing your love and being reunited with their Creator whom they were made for. And Father, we pray that we, our eyes would be on the future day when everyone will stand before the throne, knowing that there is a judgment and knowing that the only way through is to find forgiveness in Christ. We pray that this would move us to love and to persevere and to risk for the sake of the good of others, just as Christ laid down his life for us. Now, Father, we pray all these things for the sake of your holy name. Amen.